I invite you to to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 26. That's that's verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, it's in your your service sheet insert. It's also in your your church Bibles on page 916. Uh, If you're turning there in your Bibles, you'll you'll notice that we're, we're getting close to the end of our series on Galatians, only only two more weeks left, actually, uh, and then we'll get into uh, a, a uh, Christmas uh, Advent sermon series uh, from Matthew's Gospel. Galatians 5, verse, beginning in verse 16, and, and this is God's Word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you that, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Charles Dickens, in his his foreword to to his novel, David Copperfield, uh, writes about how of all the the characters he he ever wrote, all, all the characters he created and came up with, uh, that the, the characters in this, this novel uh, were his favorite. Uh, and the, the love for, the, for those characters really comes through as you, as you read through the story of David Copperfield. Uh, you get this sense that, uh, that, that the, the joy that, that Dickens had in, in creating these characters and writing these characters, they really come alive. Uh, but it is a, a story that, that takes place in our world. And so not everything goes perfectly and smoothly and, and well for, for these characters. There's, there's difficulties, there's struggles, and there's hard times. But you, you know ultimately that, that the love of the Creator is going to shine through, that, that things will come well for these characters. Well, up until till now in our series in Galatians, Paul's been, been sort of hammering away at a, at a simple point, that there's no righteousness through keeping the law because you can't keep it perfectly. That your, your righteousness before God is, is through grace to you by faith in Christ Jesus. That's the whole message of everything we've been talking about for the last, I don't even know how many weeks now, uh, 10, 9, 10, uh, that, that, that you can't make yourself right before God. That the law only leads to death, that you need the grace of God, and you've received that in Christ Jesus. And, and that, of course, creates the problem in us. Well, don't we still need to live righteously? We still ha- don't we, we can still stand to improve our holiness. 
So how does that, how does that work? If, as Paul says, we've, we've been freed from the law and the, the consequences of breaking the law, then can we just do whatever we want? And Paul's answer to that is, is no. In fact, uh, the very question implies something about how we are motivated towards righteousness. Now back in verse 1 of, of chapter 5, Paul tells us that, that Christ has set us free from the, the burden of the law and that we, we shouldn't then allow ourselves to become slaves to the law. What he means by that is simply that, that if we allow the law to be our, our motivating factor, then everything we do is, is really out of fear of punishment. But if we're trusting in Jesus, then we've, we've been brought into God's family and now our, our affections come into play. So we can be righteous and obedient to God, not out of fear, but out of, of love for him as his children. And here's what I mean. When, when, I, when I hire a car, uh, which most of you know, we, we don't own a car, uh, but, but, so we, we occasionally hire one. If, as, if I hire a car, why is it that I drive at or just below the speed limit? Well, it's because there's speed cameras everywhere, aren't there? Uh, and, and I'm afraid of, I, I don't want to get, get fined and get, get caught speeding and get fined or, or have to do the course like I did a few weeks ago. Uh, the, the fear of getting caught and the consequences keeps me uh, obedient to, to the law of the, the speed on the roads. Now, uh, and this is where things get a little bit odd, I think, but, but let's, say, uh, let's say there's a different scenario here. Let's say that I have my dad in the car. And we're over in America where, where I grew up. And, and the roads there are wide and free and there's no speed cameras. You can, you can go a bit over the speed limit if you like. And so let's say I'm, I'm driving in America and I'm, I'm speeding a bit uh, and I'm weaving in and out of traffic. And at some point my, my father looks over at me and, and he's, he's trembling and, and he says, slow down, son, or you're, you're going to kill us all. Now why do I slow down there? I slow down there because I, I love my father and I respect him and I accept his gentle correction and, and you know, I, I don't want to scare this old man to death, do I? See, there's a different motives, difference in motives between the, the two. One's, one's obedience out of fear and the other's obedience out of a, a love and a respect and a care. See, today Paul is, is, is actually unpacking this for us. He's unpacking the Christian life. We, just, and he says it's actually better than how I've just explained it. Because how I've just explained it is it's got to just sort of come from me, right? It's got to come from my motives. But what Paul says is, is not only do we have a new motivation, but we actually have someone to help us along the way. You see, Paul shifts away from what we call uh, justification, that is our, our, our legal declared righteousness before God. That, that Christ's work is what, what makes us whole. Uh, to what we call uh, sanctification, which is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that's making us more and more righteous, more and more like Jesus each and every day. And the difference is the, the first is the declared and, and legal righteousness that can't be changed. The second is practical and real. It's how the gospel works out in our, our lives. Uh, it's how it looks and it feels in the day-to-day. -day. It's, it's, like, it's like being a character in, in a Dickens novel. It doesn't, it doesn't always feel like, like it's going well. 
but, but there's this, this overarching love of the, the author that's getting worked out in that novel. And, and that's what Paul says it's like. He says we're, 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 uh, the, the creator God has set his affections on us. Now what does that look like worked out in our day-to-day lives? He says there's three things that we see about how the gospel works out each day. He says first, we feel a, a deep-rooted tension. Second, uh, a growing contrast. And then third, a, a practical hope. So three things to see. First of all, there's a, a deep-rooted tension, isn't there? Uh, Paul says that if you're, if you're in Christ, then there's, there's two parts of you doing battle, the spirit and the flesh. Now, the, the flesh in, in this case is, is actually the sin nature. Uh, it's probably a better way of describing it, actually, is, is the, the sinful nature. Sometimes we hear uh, the, the flesh is doing battle against the spirit, and we think um, you know, there, there's uh, this battle between the physical and the spiritual. But in fact, it's, it's a battle within our hearts. It's a battle inside of us. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place, and it's a battle between these two natures. You have, on the one hand, sin, which is the, the indwelling sin that we're born with, the thing that... that uh, that, that causes us to, to rebel against God and to, to seek our own way in this world, to, to live how we feel we want to live. And this is why we find ourselves doing sort of the, the awful things that we don't want to do, isn't it? And this is why we, we uh, get in, in arguments with, with our spouses. I mean, you get in arguments with your spouses. I'm, uh, yeah, no, we get in arguments with our spouses. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm getting the nod of the head. That, that's an acceptable thing for me to confess. Um, we get in arguments with our spouses. We get, we get angry and impatient with our children. Right? Kids? Yeah, okay. N- nods of heads again. Uh, we, we get angry and impatient with our children. Uh, you know, we, we tell off people at work for things that, that get on our nerves. Uh, we think about things that, that we'd rather not think about or we shouldn't. We do internet searches that, that, that we're ashamed to talk about openly. This is why we do, the, the, the sin nature is why we do all these, these things. This is why we, we speed on the motorways, all the things that we do. On the other hand, when we, when we put our faith in Christ, then we, we have this helper, the Holy Spirit, who enters into our hearts and he, he begins to, to push back against the sin nature. It creates this, this tension and this internal battle Within us, Paul says, in some ways, it's, it's like when, when we get a vaccine, when we get the, the jab, right? I've, I've had both of my COVID, COVID jabs earlier this year, but you all uh, probably know, most of you at least, that, that in August, I still came down with a case of COVID. And it was a, a mild case, and it was largely a mild case because, because I had this vaccine that had caused my body to, to fight against the disease, and I, I still didn't feel very well. But for me, the, the coronavirus uh, wasn't ultimately deadly, at least not this time, because I had this heightened ability to, to make myself well, to fight off this disease. And I, I didn't notice it working. It wasn't something that, like, like when, you're, when you're unwell, you're just unwell, aren't you? You, you don't ne- necessarily notice the, the, the treatment working. All this meant was that I, I simply didn't become as bad off as I could have been. And, and I got progressively better because of this helper in me that had built immunity to the disease. You see, there's a, a battle that's going on inside of us, isn't there? 
every single day, every moment of the day in our hearts. It's important for us to understand how Paul describes this battle here. Uh, Tim Keller points out that there's, there's actually two different words used in the Greek for, for desires. We, we only translate it as desires in the English. But in verse 17, uh, and I'm no great Greek scholar, so I'm not going to go into loads of detail. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to try and say the words for you because I won't pronounce them right. And some scholar will go, well, yeah. Uh, but but there, there's two different words used uh, for, for the desires of the flesh and desires of the spirit. Uh, the first one, the, the desires of the flesh, has its root in the, the Old Testament understanding of, of sin and law-breaking. Desires, in this case, is, is this uh, over-desire for something, this, this deep-rooted longing that's so strong that we feel uh, in our hearts that we just can't live without this, this thing. It's an, an all-consuming desire or longing. Paul's, Paul's saying that, that our sin is driven by by an over-desire for good things that God has given us and a lack of desire for the God who has given us those good things. Take, for example, uh, lust, which, which Paul gives us a few categories for here in a moment. But take, for example, lust. Uh, lust is a, is a corruption of the good gift of, of love and sex that God has given us to enjoy within the confines of a, of a marriage between a man and a woman. And our, our sinful lust is when we overly desire this love to the point that, that uh, we rebel against God and his design for our, our love lives. And we allow sin, the sinful nature to, to lead our hearts into sinful action. You see, what, what Paul is getting at here is, is it's that, that taking the good things of God, our maker, and corrupting them is what comes most naturally to us. That's actually a really helpful way of, of understanding our sin nature, isn't it? Because in a, in a world that says, actually, uh, what you really need is to accept yourself. That, that what you really need is to just be your, your true you. Scripture tells us, the gospel tells us that actually we should be very, very skeptical of our true selves. We should be very skeptical of our, our, our natural bents. And desires, and that we should actually look for something better. And the good news is that, that Paul says we have something better. You see, this is why Paul says the gospel of Jesus Christ is so good. Because Christ gives us his spirit to, to battle against this nature. The desires of the spirit in verse 17 is, is actually a, a beautiful thing because the word that Paul uses is, is, is not the same word for over-desiring. Rather, he, he uses a word that indicates simple, proper desires. That doesn't mean that the desire is any less strong or any less powerful. You see, what he's saying is that the desire of the Spirit is not overdoing anything, but rather it, is, it, it sets our heart's desire on their proper object. It sets our hearts on, the, on, on, our, on their proper object, Christ Jesus, God our Creator. And over time, this, this desire to, to please God and to, to look to Jesus grows in such a way as to, to restore our hearts to their, their proper, uh, healthy object. And if it's true that the over-desire of the sin nature creates a brokenness and a, and a corruption and causes us to do the things that we, we don't want to do, as Paul says, 
then the opposite must also be true. That allowing the, the Spirit to work in our lives brings us into a true harmony with God our Maker. And it allows us to enjoy the good things He's given us in, in, as He intended us to. But actually a marriage between a, a man and a woman and, and the sexual relationship enjoyed there is, is something that, that, that is beautiful and good. And that both points us to our redemption in Christ and, and reminds us of how He loves us. And also allows us to live as God created us to live. And Paul says that we, we might not always keenly uh, feel the Spirit at work in this way. There will, in fact, be many times when we feel overwhelmed by our sin. But the truth is that in, in Christ we are, are protected from the deadly impact of our sin. And not only that, but that we will ultimately be made well and righteous. will ultimately be made like Jesus. Martin Luther says that this, this passage offers us a, a unique encouragement because it teaches us that, that, uh, that saints of this world, that's believers, do not live without temptation or without sin. I know that, that seems like a kind of a, a, a weird encouragement, but stop and think about that for a moment. Think about how helpful that is when you, when you feel the, the weight of temptation or you, you see how you've you failed and fallen into sin. In those, in those moments, the, the lie of Satan, and often the, the lie of our own hearts, is that no one else is as sinful as you. And that no other follower of Jesus could ever possibly be tempted by or engaged in the awful things that you've done. Satan wants you to think that you're, you're somehow dirty and tainted and that you need to hide. And when you feel that way, Paul says that, that actually that's just the Christian life. That's just the Christian life. And it's actually good. It's a good thing to feel bad about your sin because it shows that, that, that you care about pleasing God. And in those, those moments, you actually already have the cure in you. It's to look to Jesus and to see that in him there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because Christ Jesus has paid those, for those sins. See, when you feel the weight of temptation, you, you can say that, that actually I'm a child of God. And I'm going I'm to obey the Spirit who has given me life. I'm going to cry out, Abba, Father, as Paul instructed us to do. See, the people of God don't have to face, fear, excuse me, don't have to fear facing their sin. Because we know it's been paid for. We don't have to, to vow to do better and, and then roll up our sleeves and, and, and really get, get working hard at being more righteous and, and being a better person because we can never achieve it. What we, what we have to do is, is look to our loving Savior, Christ Jesus, and know that He has loved us and given Himself for us and let all our righteousness be found in Him alone. I know most of you want me to, to give very very practical uh, three or four ways to, to be more righteous. And you know what? I'm going to do it. Three ways to be more righteous. You ready? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. That's what Paul tells us, isn't it? Look to Jesus and trust the Spirit at work in you. And take courage in Him when tempted. 
Paul says that as we, we do that, and as, as this battle rages within us, uh, we'll begin to see a, a growing contrast in our lives, which is our, our second point, this, this growing contrast. Look at verses 19 through 23. Paul tells us that, that the works of the flesh, uh, that the, the works that, that flow out of the sinful nature should be obvious to us, but he, he lists a few of them anyway, doesn't he? Uh, look at 19 through 21 again. Now the works of the flesh are, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's, there's several ways we, can, we could break this, this list down. Um, I think it's, it's important just for us to see that there's, there's certain categories uh, that we have here. There's categories for, for sexual sin, uh, immorality, impurity, sensuality. There's, there's categories for religious sins, uh, idolatry, sorcery. There's, there's categories for attitudes, sinful attitudes and their results, enmity, strife, so forth. Uh, there's, there's categories for substance abuse, drunkenness, and orgies. It's, it's quite a, a list, isn't it? Uh, and, and when we, we look at a list like this, the, the temptation is to, to try to look for the things that we haven't done. Because that makes us feel better, doesn't it? You know, if I can, if I can just go, uh, you know, maybe I've, I've all right, you know, maybe, I, maybe I, I have some enmity but not strife. Well, that, that's, that's not so bad. I'm not as bad as some people. But what Paul is doing here is, is he's actually saying, this is, this is actually your heart. This is the, the human heart uh, at its most natural. He says, this is, this is who you are. Or rather, if you're in Christ, this is, this is who you were. And Paul's right, isn't he, when he says that the, the works of the flesh are, are obvious. It's, we all, uh, by nature, uh, hate the things in this list. And yet we can't seem to stop doing them. And Paul gives us quite a, a serious warning, doesn't he, in verse 21, that, that those who, who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Even people outside the church hate, hate these things. But they actually have no answer for them, do they? They, they hate them, but they, they have no answer for them. So, so what do they say? Well, they say, they say, stop. And you're hearing that more and more. Just, just stop doing this thing. Just stop doing this other thing. But what about when we, we find we can't stop? Well, then they say, well, we'll name and shame, right? If we just shame people enough, then, then they'll, they'll behave better. They'll stop acting in the way they've been acting. We can shame people into righteousness. And it's, an, it's a funny old world uh, when, you, when you stop and think about it. I'm going to, young people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comment here on, on what the world was like 20 years ago. Uh, I said earlier today when I, I preached in Brentford, this is going to make me sound like a crotchety old man. Sorry, I'm, I'm just middle-aged, I promise. Um, but but uh, I've lived just long enough to, to see the cultural pendulum swing. Uh, 20 years ago, society uh, was all about freedom, particularly sexual freedom. People were saying we should be free to do as we like, to sleep with who we want to, uh, to, to make lots of money and, and spend it on however, however we feel is right. Uh, we didn't care about things like, like climate change or any of this other stuff because we were just like, you know, 
spend, do what you want, be happy and free. Uh, the President of the United States was, was sleeping with interns and lying about it, and people thought he was a genius. People looked at the church and they said, you're, you're a bunch of, of people who are just there to make us feel bad about ourselves, to shame us into to do, behaving a certain way. Now our culture realized that this, this attitude of complete freedom opened us up to, to incredible abuses. And we, we've swung the other way. Now we have, have things like the, the Me Too movement. We're quickly becoming a, a shame-based culture. But that hasn't put a stop to the abuse. Often it's just, it's just pushed it in, in, into the shadows, hasn't it? The world has no answer to our sin nature. First they said indulge, then they said stop. What's going to come next? Let's, we'll give it, give it 20 years. We'll find out together. But the wonder of the gospel is that Paul says it's, is, is that there, there's an answer to the things we do that we, we don't think we can stop. And it's the grace of Christ Jesus. Grace that has, has paid for our sins and that implants in our hearts the spirit of Christ that's, that's slowly making us like him. That's, that's the whole point of the work of the spirit, to make us like Jesus, to, to make the declared righteousness Paul has been talking about up till now, the real righteousness that's, that's flowing out of us and that's being worked out in our, in our hearts every single day of our lives, trying to make us more and more like Jesus. If if you stop long enough and, and get to know Jesus, you, you really can't help but want to be like him. You really can't. Paul says that if you're, you're in Christ, you'll, you'll begin to see these, these fruits in your lives. And, and I think when you look at the fruits of the Spirit here, verses 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there, there's no law. Uh, the, this is what Jesus looked like. This is who Jesus was. And when you hear the fruits of the Spirit, they're what you really want to be, aren't they? This is the kind of person you actually want to be. Even non-Christians want, want to be like the person Paul has just described. Most people read this and think, I've got to be this. I've got to try harder to be this. But here's the beauty of what Paul's saying. Paul is saying you will be this. That you, you can't escape it if you're in Christ. Because you have the Holy Spirit digging wells of living water in your soul. And you can't stop it. You can't stop it from bubbling up inside you. And you can't make it go any faster. Paul says this is this is the reality of who you're going to be. And you can't get there by, by you know, trying to do, do nice things for people, trying to be a better person, doing charitable acts, you know, doing, doing you know, meditation or, or yoga or, or any of these things. You can't, you can't get it by, by any of these things that we try to do. He says it. It's simply who you will be if you're in Christ. Paul finishes by saying, you'll be this if, if you're in Christ, not because you're, you're trying so hard to keep the rules, but because of, of where you've directed your faith. You'll be this because of, of what you can say to the devil and to yourself 
when you're tempted and to your own sin nature when you stumble that my sin has been paid for in Christ that I'm no longer defined by it I'm no longer identified by it I don't need my sin anymore and that's what we see in our, our third point this afternoon we see a, a practical hope Paul finishes here with what is, is actually a strong statement of hope he says in verse 24 and, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and he, he tells us in, in verses 25 uh, live by the spirit let us, let us, if we live by the spirit let us walk by the spirit what does that, that actually mean? It means that, that there's no accusation that the devil can make against you. It means that you no longer have to identify with your sin because your sin is dead. It's been crucified. I know that sounds uh, abstract, but it, it should actually lead into a, a practical hope for us. What does it look like to see our sin crucified? Well, it looks like reminding ourselves of the, the wondrous truth of the gospel that Christ has so fully paid for our sin that we're no longer condemned by it. And if that's, that's, that's true, if he's so fully paid for our sin uh, that, that we're no longer condemned by it, and that the Holy Spirit in us uh, is slowly making us really and truly righteous, then it means we're also, we're also no longer defined by it in this life and this world. We have to remind ourselves of this every single day because uh, of the, the truth that, that, that in Christ we're, we're free from our sin and from the law's requirements. We have to remind ourselves of that every single day because otherwise we're, we're tempted to still identify with our old sin and our old ways. Instead, we have to, to more and more identify as belonging to Christ and his Holy Spirit and let that define us. And, and that's incredibly hard to do, isn't it? said we, we talk about how, how the gospel feels, the, the Christian life feels. It, it often feels like death, doesn't it? Because we're told over and over again by the world that, that you are this and you just need to embrace it. You are, you are this and you just have to embrace it. You need to be your true self. And the gospel runs completely counter to it. See, that's where you, be, you feel the, the weight of this battle inside ourselves isn't it on most days it, it feels like death but what I can promise you is that 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 it becomes life Malcolm Gladwell the author tells of a, a story of a doctor named Jay Fryerick who worked on the the children's ward of a, a cancer hospital in the US uh, back in the 1950s and 60s and in those days uh, most of the children uh, admitted to the hospital with leukemia uh, cancer of the blood would be dead within weeks. He said it was a horrific place uh, to live because, or to, to work, because every day you would go in and, and they would have to watch children who are, were slowly bleeding to death because of the cancer eating away at them. And this, this doctor, Jay Fryerick, uh, came up with what, what uh, appeared to be an, an absolutely insane, potentially even cruel treatment, where he would give a, a child a, a cocktail of four uh, lethal chemicals. Uh, this is what we know today as, as chemotherapy. But at the time, it, it was thought to be, to be cruel and insane. But the, the treatment actually worked. 
But in order for it to work, it took the children to, to the brink of death before they, they began to improve and get better and, and ultimately to live. You see, to, to kill the cancer inside them, they had to, to, to put this thing that, that seemed destructive at the time, but actually was, was the thing that was giving them life. And in many ways, that's what, what Paul is saying is happening in believers. The sin nature is, is so strong and is, is, it has taken such a deep hold in us that it's, it's slowly uh, killing us. But the cure seems almost worse to us, doesn't it? But if we allow the cross of Christ and the Holy Spirit to do their work, if we look to Jesus and trust him as, as our great physician to know his work, then slowly but surely we'll feel the strength of life in Christ growing in us. And that's the beauty of, of life in Christ. The promise that the, the cancer of sin will, will one day be eradicated and all, all that will remain is, is life with our God. Paul tells us we can call Father. In a world where, where people are, are trying harder and, and, and shaming one another into trying to be better, but ending up uh, right where they started, the gospel says that, that those in Christ already have the answer. And it's a beautiful answer. They already have the source in them of, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. They are, we, we, we already have that in us. And if you want that in you or, or you want that to grow in you, then all you have to do is look by faith to the cross of Christ Jesus. And there you'll find the love of your great God and Father. And there you'll find true hope. And there you'll find your true self. Let us pray.